Hello, language hackers. Benny here, welcoming you to the latest episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. In today's episode, Shannon and I talk to Lydia Makova, a professional interpreter, founder of Language Mentoring, and a serial language learner. Some of the things we talk about in today's episode are what's involved in working as a language interpreter, how to become more than a passive language learner, finding ways to enjoy your language learning, why you should focus on one specific language skill at a time, why Lydia focuses on a single language for two years, and how to be okay with giving up a language. Have you been enjoying the podcast? Let us know by leaving us a review. We'd love for you to let us know what's working for you at languagehacking.com slash review. We truly love hearing from you and we read every single one. And now, on to our interview with Lydia. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 36. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. So hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Today, I've got a friend of mine, Lydia, on, and Lydia has a very interesting story to tell us. So Firstly, I met her at Polyglot events, but she ended up running the Polyglot gathering herself for several years. Uh, she's got a very successful language coaching business, and she's also given probably the most viewed TED Talk on language learning out there that just exploded in a very short amount of time. I was very uh, grateful that she actually visited me right uh, after she gave this talk. It was in New York. And um, she's a very interesting figure in the language learning uh, sphere. So that's why we wanted to talk to her today. So thanks a lot for joining us. Oh, thank you, Benny, for such a lovely introduction and for inviting me here. So let's kick things off with um, your version of how you got into language learning and how you got into the language business. So can you give us a bit of your backstory? Yeah, sure. So I started with my first foreign language when I was 11. That was English. And this is something very normal for everyone in Slovakia. And then my second language was German uh, when I was 15. But just like you, Benny, I didn't quite enjoy it when I was at school. I wasn't very good at it. I was, I, I think I was, I was quite good, but I didn't really enjoy learning German. Uh, I loved English though. And uh, because I wanted to become an interpreter and work with English, I realized I will need two languages um, to study at the university. So that's why I, I decided, okay, I really need to start working on this German because I, re I, need, I really need the second language. And so I started to apply some of the methods that I now teach other people how they can learn languages by themselves. That was mostly uh, watching German TV and um, working with some text, with some, with some grammar textbooks, anything that I could get my hands on. And I realized that I could turn myself from a person who did not enjoy German at all into uh, a German freak. I really started to love German. I fell in love with it. And in two years, I was, I was able to speak it fluently. Uh, so that's when I realized, wow, okay, this is, this is interesting. I can actually learn languages by myself. So then I started applying this uh, to other languages, to Spanish, Polish, French, Esperanto, Russian, Swahili. These are the languages that I learned later on. And those were the ones that I learned actually totally by myself without any teachers or courses. So you said that you went from not really enjoying learning German at all to becoming a, in your words, German freak. So it sounds like you almost turned that on by doing, doing certain things. So what was it that made that transition for you? Yeah. So 
I think it was mostly the activity of, of doing something regularly by choosing what I do with the language. So in comparison, uh, the usual language lessons that I had, the German lessons were quite boring. We were reading texts that no one was really interested in. We had to talk about them uh, with our classmates. No one was really interested in, in those topics, right? But then I started to watch German TV. And even though I couldn't really understand most of it when I started watching, I decided to give it half an hour every day I made a special schedule, which I put on my wall and I gave myself a, a motivating tick if I managed to get half an hour of, of the German TV every day. And I realized that after a few weeks, I started to understand more and more and more. And I remember the moment when I actually laughed at my first joke, you know, that I understood in the German TV. I started watching TV series such as Friends or anything else that was that was there that was going on. And I started to actually follow what was going on. And this was such an incredible experience for me. This was revolutionary because I remembered how it was not understanding German, not liking German at all. And suddenly here I was understanding bits and pieces of of the German TV. And I understood more and more. The more I watched, obviously, the more I started to understand. So that motivated me to keep on learning. And I don't, I don't really know how that happened, but because I understood more of it, I was able to watch more of it and, and read more of German texts. And uh, suddenly I realized this is actually quite an interesting language with a beautiful melody, uh, with very interesting grammar. So my view of the language changed with the results, I would say. So I definitely want to get back to your earlier experiences in the languages. But like you said, part of your story was becoming an interpreter. And this was actually something I was initially interested in myself for quite a while, and I never quite got into it. And it's hard enough to just speak a language and understand people and, and get into that ebb and flow. But to be able to interpret somebody else like that, that's an interesting skill. So how did you get interested in interpretation in interpretation? And how do you recommend other people kind of consider this uh, this profession? If I wanted to interpret somebody, at least casually, how, what would I do to get started? Um, I'm not quite sure if it's possible to do it casually if you want to do it professionally. Of course, you can always be an interpreter for your friends or, you know, if someone needs someone to help with a language, you can be the person to help them with it. But if you want to do it professionally, I think it takes dedication and to, to really start uh, studying the language and practicing the skill of interpreting. As you said, it's, it's something that is, um, it's, it's difficult, but it's not as difficult as most people think. I think it's a skill that uh, most people can learn easily, but they need to apply themselves. They need to practice a lot because what you need to do in interpreting is basically dividing your attention to two separate uh, speeches. First of all, you listen to the speech of the speaker, which comes in through your ears. And second of all, you listen to yourself because you need to follow your own sentences uh, because as an interpreter, if you do simultaneous interpreting, that means you have the headphones on and the speaker speaks continuously and you interpret continuously. Um, you need to, uh, your speech is basically a few seconds behind the speaker. So you need to be able with one ear to follow what you are saying to make, to make sense, to finish your sentences. And, and this is something that I learned is, is a, is an easily learnable skill. Well, maybe not easily, but it's definitely learnable. Uh, I, I studied it at a university. I followed the professional path. And later on, I even taught interpreting when I was doing my PhD studies. And I realized with my students that uh, even though they were not good at it at all in the first lessons, they were able to learn this skill within um, half a year or one year. 
easily and, and they did a pretty decent job. So I, I believe it's actually similar to language learning. It takes a lot of practice. It's not something that um, people can start doing if they're good enough at a language. So if you say, okay, I'm, I'm fluent at French now, I can start interpreting right away. It's probably not true. So you just need to spend extra time practicing, just like you need time practicing speaking if you want to be good at speaking, right? Or writing if you want to have a nice writing, uh, written expression. So I believe it's, it's actually quite similar. You had mentioned earlier that when you were studying languages earlier on in school, that it wasn't particularly your favorite subject and that you didn't feel that you were extraordinary at it, perhaps more of an average or a slightly above average student. But you decided to go into studying interpretation, which is a very languagey thing. So what made you make that transition from just kind of surviving through your language classes to pursuing a career in language? Right. So I mentioned German and that I wasn't particularly interested in it, but I didn't talk that much about English because English was my favorite subject of all. I fell in love with it when I was 11 and yeah, I really, really loved it. And I was, I was good at it from the beginning because I just loved the language so much. So that, that was why I decided to become an interpreter. It was because of English. And in Slovakia, it's not possible to study interpreting with just one language. You need another one. Because uh, the Slovak language is such a small language, there's just 5 million people speaking it, that you could probably not survive on the market if you just interpreted with one language. So I needed a second one. And given that I had already spent two years learning German, I figured, okay, it will be easiest if I go with German. So at that point, German was kind of just, I need a second language. But the real passion was in studying English because I really love that. So after your experience with, of course, English and then German, you went on to become a true polyglot. You've uh, gone through Spanish, Polish, French, Russian, Esperanto. You mentioned Swahili um, and even from the past, you knew, knew a little Slovak sign language. So how did that start? Like, how did you get into your polyglot journey after your experience for interpretation with English and German? Right. So I, I had no such ambitions, to be honest, when I when I started uh, to study English and German, I never thought I would be a polyglot. I really admired anyone who was a polyglot. I remember finding your uh, website and I was so impressed. It was like, oh, my God, you know, this is so cool that someone is able to speak so many languages. That's so cool. I never thought I could do anything like that. Um, but then uh, I I don't know how I decided to to add Spanish because I found the language interesting and pretty. I thought I could try learning it. And I tried it by myself uh, with, a, with a book, but I didn't know how to do it. So I failed two or three times. And then I signed up for a course at a university. It was a free course and I was super excited. Like, yes, this means I'm going to finally learn Spanish. Cool. And I went to the first lesson and I realized there were 25 people in the room and we had one lesson a week. And the teacher was the most demotivated teacher you could possibly imagine. So after the first lesson, I realized, okay, this is not my path to speaking Spanish one day. So I realized I need to start doing something. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to try something that worked for me with German, but I didn't really have any Spanish TV or anything at that time. There was the internet, but it was not so full of resources as, as it is today. So I decided to read my favorite book from a childhood, Harry Potter in Spanish. And this turned out to be a really good, uh, really good decision. I don't know how I figured it out. It was just like, let's try that. We'll see what happens. And I remember reading the Harry Potter book and listening to it at the same time. So I got the audiobook and the, the ebook. And I decided just like with German that I will give it every day. I will give it half an hour 
20 minutes or so. And I will just follow the text by both listening and reading. And this was actually a very good method because I really loved the book as a child. I, I read it at least two or three times, so I knew exactly what would happen. And this turned out to be um, a game of detecting or decoding the text like, like a detective because I was uh, following a text and suddenly I heard something like, you know, Dursley's or Dumbledore or Harry, Hermione, and all, all these names that I knew. And I was trying to figure out what happened in that sentence, what happened in that paragraph. I had a few words, which of course, in Spanish, if you, if you already speak English, that helps a lot to understand a lot of Spanish words. So this turned out to be a really interesting game of let's see if I find out what is going on in this part of the book. And again, just with German, just like with German, uh, the more I read and listened, the more I understood. And I remember reading the rest of the book, the end of the book, almost fluently in Spanish. And it was magical. It was like, wow, I understand. But obviously that was just a passive knowledge, right? Uh, they didn't help me to speak the language. So I needed to apply other methods for that later on. So moving on from that, what, what do you do to become a speaker in, what did you do with Spanish and how did your method evolve for becoming a speaker of other languages? Right. Um, so with, with Spanish, I realized after, after some time that I really need to practice speaking. And I, I realized it at a party. Uh, it was a student party and a friend of mine knew that I was learning Spanish and she, she knew some Spanish guys that were studying with an Erasmus program in Bratislava. So she said like, Hey guys, come over here. Lydia is learning Spanish. You can speak Spanish to her. And they started speaking Spanish to me, but that's when I realized, Oh my God, I cannot say almost anything. I understand what they're saying, but Oh, you know, this feeling when you're stuck and you don't have the words because you've never practiced the active output, right? Which is very natural, which I understand now. So at that time I realized, okay, I probably need to practice output somehow. So I found um, a Mexican student, Gabi, who was also uh, studying in Bratislava, and I started a language tandem with her. We had a lesson in English and a lesson with Spanish, and uh, we would meet at least once or twice a week regularly. And we would start really simply uh, with, the, with the method of simplifying everything I, I possibly can so that I express something in Spanish. And step by step, my sentences were making more sense and, you know, they were, they, they sounded more intelligent <laughs> the more I practiced. And I remember uh, after half, half a year of, of learning Spanish this way, again, there was a situation where I realized that I actually made a great improvement because I, I was supposed to meet my friend Gabby um, somewhere downtown for a coffee uh, with another friend. And she came a little bit later and she was very... Uh, upset and sh she was crying and I was like, oh my God, what happened? And she was so shocked because uh, just a few minutes before our meeting, an accident had happened in the street and she was almost run by a, run over by a car. Nothing happened. Fortunately, nothing happened to her. She was safe, but just, she was just so excited from this experience, so shattered. And so she came a few minutes after this experience and she started talking to me in, in really fast Spanish. I mean, you can imagine if someone is so upset and I reacted to her questions and I asked her, oh my God, are you okay? What happened? Tell me, you know, we had a conversation for a few minutes. And after the conversation, my friend who was, who was there with me looked at me and said, like, Lydia, did you just speak like that in Spanish? Like, I thought you had been learning for what, like half a year. That's when I realized like, oh my God, you're right. I actually did. And th this was, a, I think, a very good test for me, because if you are in a situation where you are under stress, 
where someone is upset, they are not careful about the way they speak, you know, they don't pronounce everything correctly. And yet I was able to have the conversation and understand her. So that for me was really, really eye opening. That was like, wow, this has really worked. I can learn a language in half a year. And I think that was the most um, turning point for me. That's when I realized, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this with other languages too. But normally I spent two years learning one language and only then do I move to another one because I realized that uh, I, I need to get, have a really good basis so that I don't forget and, and lose the language later on. Given that you've learned several languages now, do you have a specific method or maybe system that you found works for you across languages? Um, yes and no. I wouldn't say that I have a method. Uh, I have a methodology or an approach rather. Um, I, I always try to come up with methods that I enjoy, that are, that are fun for me, that enable me a lot of contact with the language that are effective because then I studied, you know, other polyglot methods and what works and space repetition and all these things. And also what enables me to apply it systematically. And if these four pillars, which I call pillars of my methodology, if they are applied, then I think any method can actually work. Uh, I, I believe that you really need to make language learning uh, fun, systematic, effective and intensive in a way. Uh, it never happens overnight and it doesn't happen if you do something five minutes a day. Right. So if, if these things are at, at place, then you can you can apply any method. And, and that's what I did with my other languages. I, I tried many other methods. I tried the, the gold list method to learn vocabulary. I know you mentioned it on your podcast already. Uh, I tried Anki to learn vocabulary, flashcards, paper, paper flashcards. I listened to podcasts, YouTube videos, TV series, all of these things. And I always combine them because I also found that uh, if I, even if I like a method, it doesn't mean I like it uh, forever or all the time. Even gold list, the gold list method, which is my favorite one. Uh, I use it for two or three months and then suddenly I'm fed up with it. It's like, okay, not anymore. I need to switch to Anki. I, I use Anki for a few months and then I switch back to something else. So I, I need, I need novelty in language learning. I always need something new, some, some new input because otherwise I get bored with it. So that's my method. Yeah. And as you mentioned, like uh, we've touched on the gold list method previously, but why does this, um, and I know you'll switch away from it when, uh, you need that novelty. Why does the gold list method in particular resonate with you? Because people in the challenge have actually shared your video about the gold list method as um, an inspirational one to refer to. So like, why does it resonate with you? Right. Well, I think David mentioned it somewhere. I'm, I seem to be the biggest promoter of, of the method uh, because I, I just share it publicly everywhere because I, I really loved it. The, the thing I love about this method is um, when you hear about it, you tell yourself this cannot possibly work. This, this is just nonsense. You know, you're, you're not trying to learn anything and that's why you learn vocabulary. I mean, come on, it doesn't make any sense. But actually, when you try it out, what happens after two weeks is just pure magic to me because you you just wrote down a list of expressions. I don't go for individual words. I always go for expressions and and you read them out loud once and then you do the same thing over and over again with other lists, but you never get back to the old older lists. Right. And two weeks after the first list, you get back to it. 
you you test yourself. I actually test myself by um, actively uh, asking what what is what is this expression that I see in Slovak? What is it in German, Russian, Swahili, whatever language I'm learning? And I give myself a tick or a point whenever I'm able to say that out loud correctly without any hesitation, without any mistake. And I find out almost always, what, 99% of the time that 30% of those words were are in my long-term memory and I remember them. And this is something I don't quite understand rationally. I mean, I've, I've read a lot about the method and uh, I talked to David about it, the, the author. David James, uh, but I don't know how it can work so magically. It's just for me, it's it's always interesting to do the the testing because I confirm for myself that this really works, and and that that's what I enjoy. I mean, it's learning without any learning. It's just writing down lists of words you you find interesting. I find I find it's a it's a very interesting method because it's so different from traditional learning. So for someone who's listening and might not know what the gold list method can, is, can you briefly explain how it works? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I briefly touched on it. So you basically just write lists of words. Uh, you, you get a big notebook and you write, let's say, 20 expressions in your target language. You translate them into your mother tongue and you just write down this list, nothing else. The next day you write another list of 20 words, the next day, another list of 20 words, and you never, never go back to the older lists, right? This is the interesting thing. So you don't check whether you remember the words from yesterday and a week ago. Uh, and you keep doing this every day for two weeks. And after two weeks, you get back to the first list. You test yourself. How many of these words do I know? And it, it seems counterintuitive because how could you know if you never learned them, right? But actually, in the process of writing down the expressions, when you are in a in a state of ease and and you enjoy it because it's just fun, it's not learning. It's just you know, it's for fun. Uh, that's when you actually do learn subconsciously. And as David explains, the the method is is just like breathing. We breathe uh, in the best way when we don't actually concentrate on our breath. So we, the moment you start thinking about it. You start breathing maybe too shallowly or maybe too deeply. But if you if you don't think about it, your body knows how to breathe just fine. And this is exactly what what is happening with the with the learning. When you just write down the the list of the words which you want to remember, uh, without trying to memorize them or you know learn them uh, by heart, that's when your your brain picks the ones which it wants to learn. And after two weeks, you just check which were the ones that my brain decided to learn. And uh, what happens with the rest of the words is you rewrite them on another part of the of the notebook. And you keep rewriting every two weeks, every two weeks, the same list uh, until you, you're basically distilling uh, this, this list uh, and you are leaving out the words which you have already learned. And th th this is this is important. Uh, so the two weeks are important because that makes sure that makes sure that if you learn something and it stayed in your memory for two weeks, it is in your long term memory. If you check on the next day, well, maybe you know it today, but you won't know it tomorrow. Right. So it, it basically follows the SRS, the, the forgetting curve, because after after about two weeks, the curve is more or less the same. It doesn't really go down that much. Yeah. And I, and I like what you're saying that uh, you're not married to this method, like it has worked for you. But it's it's not that this is uh, central to your language learning process. So li like you were saying, there's a uh, like, uh, output becomes such an important thing. And I know that you coach a lot of people. So when it comes to people saying that they run into challenges and 
what what do you see as people's issues when they start to try to get in their initial conversations in a language? And what do you recommend they do to get around these? Right. So I keep saying that the only way to learn how to speak a language is to speak it a lot. And this is what most people don't want to hear or they, they, they think there is a different way. Maybe if I spend more time with Duolingo, I will be able to speak better, right? Well, no, because Duolingo doesn't really help you to speak. It doesn't help you with the output. So what you practice is what improves. It's, it's a very logical thing, but I think many people don't realize it with language learning, even if they realize it with other activities in their life. So when I, when I see that someone is struggling to speak a language, um, usually I think it has to do with the, with other areas in the language as well. So usually it's not someone who has very rich vocabulary, understands everything easily and just is not able to speak, right? Usually uh, they are struggling on other levels as well. So what I suggest doing is, uh, focus on two or three priorities at a given language learning period. For example, let's say two months. I think that's the ideal time to make language learning plans. And you say, okay, now I'm going to focus on my listening, vocabulary, and let's say reading, right? Or let's say we put um, speaking in there right away. So listening, vocabulary, and speaking. You focus on these three activities. You don't really do anything else because I believe that the more you do something, the more it improves. And the more it improves, the more it motivates you because you see the results. I believe what is a problem with many people is when they, for example, follow traditional language courses, is they try to do a little bit of everything, right? So they read a text, they write a little bit, they do a bit of grammar, they do a bit of speaking, and, and then they don't really feel any progress because they have not put enough effort into a particular skill. So what I recommend doing is, is focus on that one skill which you want to improve. And at the end of those two months, look back and see if that one skill has improved because chances are it will improve much better than if you do a bit of everything, right? And so the answer to your question is actually you need to speak a lot. So I, I subscribe to what you say. You, you need to get down there and practice even if it's, if it's not uh, as pleasant or well, it's uncomfortable for everyone at the beginning, right? And, but we need to get over it because that's the only way to, to learn the language. And we just need to accept that mistakes are a natural part of this, of this journey. Uh, they help us grow. They, it's something that we should not fear. Uh, and I understand why people do fear them because again, from the traditional school system, they, they were taught that if you don't know how to say this sentence, then rather say nothing because if you make a mistake, I'm going to give you a bad grade or something. So I think people need to overcome this uh, mindset and, and then speaking becomes more natural. And once they feel uh, confident in using whatever vocabulary they have, whatever grammar they, they have, they can improve and, and make it better and yeah, make themselves uh, seem more, more intelligent in the foreign language. This speaking kind of fluctuates as you go through this process. So sometimes you feel confident in it. Sometimes you don't feel so confident in it. So on those days where it feels like someone might be slogging through a conversation, what would your advice be to them to help them through that difficult experience, like those bad days? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, I agree. This is a, this is a natural thing and it happens, but I also think that people should understand or try to understand why it happens because there may be a pattern. So for example, what I realized, many people are much more comfortable speaking to another language learner in that foreign language 
rather than speaking to a native speaker or speaking to a teacher who is a professional teacher in that language and on top of that is a native speaker. That's so stressful, right? Um, I have a metaphor where, which actually helped me realize this. Uh, I have a I've been, I've had a driving license for what, 12 years now, but I only really started driving, uh, this year. I was for 11 years, I was very uncomfortable driving and I thought I wasn't a good driver. And I, I didn't know why. I mean, I uh, technically I'm, I'm okay with like normal things, but just driving wasn't my thing. I felt very unsure of myself. I made a lot of mistakes. I, I preferred not to drive. And this year I started driving. Uh, and I made a little difference. This time I drove without my dad sitting next to me. My dad is a professional driver. He's a bus driver. He's really good at it. He, I mean, he can drive a car like no one else, but he also expects it of other people in his family, I suppose. And for 12 years, I, I always drove uh, our car with him next to me. And I was always felt like he's going to see every mistake that I make. And he also expected me to make those mistakes. So I was under stress. Um, and, and that's why I actually wasn't a good driver. This year, I started driving by myself and it took me a, a few drives to, you know, get used to it. And now I feel so comfortable. I feel so good. I feel very natural at it. And I even don't make half of those mistakes that I used to make. Uh, to finish this, I need, really need to say my dad is a really lovely person. Okay. He's not like very strict or anything. He loves me and he, he wanted me to learn the, the perfect skill of driving. Right. <laughs> but I realized that when you are doing something like this, with, with, when you are under stress, because you feel there is an authority who will see your every mistake, that is, that makes the activity so difficult. And I believe this is the same when someone is speaking and their, their only experience is speaking, uh, let's say at a language lesson with the professional teacher to hear all your mistakes and other people who will also laugh at your mistakes if you say something, right? That's what we have in our minds. So what I realize is if people just say, okay, you are learning, let's say German, I'm learning German, let's have a conversation. Then most people, when I suggest this, most people say like, okay, but who is going to correct your mistakes, right? This is, this is the usual reaction, but I believe it's not as important to get all the mistakes corrected because, um, anyway, you cannot really keep track of all the mistakes. You, you cannot remember everything, but it's much more important to be at ease and to practice and practice a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of output, output. And it's much easier to get someone to, to, uh, like a, another language learner to have a conversation with it's for free. It's, um, it's fun. You can make friends. You can, you know, talk about normal life and you both practice the output. So I, I believe that if someone is, uh, if, if someone feels that they are very much under stress when they speak, maybe they should think about other ways, uh, of speaking, for example, talking to someone who is also a learner or even applying self-talk which is, which is also a very interesting method where you basically speak to yourself. I think Shannon, you have experience with this method. I, I, I think you, I heard you mention it somewhere and, and it seems to be just as good as, as uh, speaking to a, a native speaker because what it takes is a lot of output and that's what you practice. Yeah, that was definitely my experience when I got into Spanish and I got intimidated by speaking to native speakers and I never made any progress in my first month. But then I started speaking to the Erasmus students who were also learners like myself, also foreigners, and uh, gave me a huge confidence boost because, like you said, you don't feel like there's an authority judging you. So I really, really love that. Okay, so one thing I wanted to touch on, just getting back to your skill in being able to do this with multiple languages and that you have your two-year process. Uh, something else you talk about are language islands. So 
what are language islands and how do you build them? Right. So that's another metaphor of mine. I really like using metaphors to explain language learning, um, as you might have noticed. So what I see um, when someone is learning, starting to learn a language, I see them as a person left stranded on an island. And I don't know if you guys saw the movie uh, Castaway. Uh, with Tom Hanks, it's uh, it's this guy who is who's left stranded on an island. And- Wilson, <laughs> right, <laughs> that one. I, I really love the movie. And uh, when I saw it, I realized, oh my god, this is totally like language learning because he was trying to get away from the island, but he couldn't because he 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 built a little raft. But every time he tried to get away, there was always this big wave that would drag him back, right? And he hurt himself. It, the small waves were okay but closer to the island, but the big waves out there, wow, that was, that was a big deal. And that left him on the island for like five years, I think. And the only way how he could get away from the island was get across that last big wave. So what I see, uh, why I see this as language learning, I guess that when you're starting to learn a language, you have a little raft, a little boat, and you are swimming away from the island. The beginnings are very easy, right? You are excited about language learning. So you get into it and the the first waves, no problem. You make progress every day. You feel it. It's amazing. But then you get into the mid mid waves range and, and the big waves. And I believe this is the B2 level, the comfortable fluency level. And if you don't get across that last wave, if you don't get a decent B2 level, the moment you stop learning, your raft will be dragged back towards the island. And this is why most people or many people, I would say even most people in the world who have tried to learn a language have this experience. They say, but I've been learning English for 10 years. How come I, I, I always feel like a beginner? And this is because they start learning actively. That means they are rowing their boat actively. Uh, they get to the midwaves and then they stop rowing because uh, the semester in their language school finished or they take a little break or, you know, just life happens and and they really get back towards the island. Maybe not the very beginning, but they get back to their A2, A1 level, maybe B1. And and, it, and you really seem to be forgetting the language really, really quickly if you if you don't get across the last wave. What I realize is if I do cross it, then I don't need to be in touch with the language even for several years. And then I just need to refresh it maybe with an intensive weekend or I need to go to the country or start watching series or something, get into it. And I can get back to my usual fluency level very quickly within days. I don't lose the language anymore. So what, what I try to help people in, in the whole language mentoring business that I, that I do is I, I try to help them get across the last wave and get the B2 level. Because I think it's, 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 I think it's a waste of time in a way if someone learns a language just a little bit. I mean, if they do it for fun, like many polyglots do, then that's fine. But many people think, oh, I will learn Italian just for two weeks because I want to go on holiday. And then ne- next year, I want to be able to use this little Italian that I've learned. It doesn't work like that. You'll be a complete beginner by then because you haven't crossed the big wave. I would imagine that this metaphor has a lot to do with why you pick two years to focus on each language. So I'd love to know more about this two-year strategy and what motivates you to add a new language after those two years rather than spending more time than that period on a language. Yes, definitely. The two years are important to get to a decent B2 level. I think it is possible um, 
in a shorter time, but then your learn language learning needs to be very intensive. So what I usually suggest and what I do, what I've done with all my languages is I usually spend no more than one hour a day learning a language. I've never done such intensive projects like you did, Benny. Um, and uh, I, I just always made sure that my language learning was kind of part of my life, but it was never a big, big project, which I would put myself into. And that that's what I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a way for people to incorporate language learning into their everyday life without it happening a, a really big thing. So if you spend an hour a day learning the language, then in about a year and a half, you have spent about 500 hours of language learning, of language contact. And I believe this is more or less the, the amount of time or the amount, amount of hours you need to get to the B2 level. Of course, it depends on many factors. It depends on how, how many other languages you speak, what language you're learning, uh, what other languages you have already learned, etc. But for me, it was always roughly one year and a half of, of learning. And I always take some breaks, I, you know, some weeks or months here and there. So it usually amounts to two years before I get to the really comfortable level where I know, okay, I can now stop uh, focusing on this language and I will not lose it because that, that's what I want to do. I want to keep my languages long-term. So, so that, that was the reason, but also it happened very naturally that after two years of learning, let's say Polish, I started to get interested in new languages. It was like, hmm, let's see what this French language is about. Let's see if I could apply the same methods to another language. So also naturally in my life, um, it kind of happened that every two years, uh, more or less, it was never quite two years. Um, I just got interested in a new language and started focusing on that. And you've also incorporated some uh, fun missions in some of your languages, like for Russian, you booked a train trip and like what, what plans do you have with Swahili and what other fun ways have you spiced up your language learning? Yeah. So just like you, Benny, I really love combining uh, language learning with traveling. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of traveling. So yeah, with, with Russian, uh, this was actually my, my, one of my main motivators. I really wanted to do the Trans-Siberian Express and I, I, I was preparing for it for actually almost two years. I really wanted to make sure that I can speak a very good Russian. I can be absolutely fluent. I can just be myself in, in Russian, not just get by. I mean, I could easily get by because uh, Russian is quite close to Slovak. So even after a few months, it would probably be, be possible. But I always want to get across the last wave, right? So this was a main, the main motivator for me with Russian. Uh, Swahili was also um, uh, motivated by traveling. Although the main reason was that I wanted to test my language mentoring methods on a language where I would be a complete, complete beginner. I really wanted to learn Brazilian Portuguese. I'm very, uh, very attracted to this language through music. But I realized that after Spanish, French and Esperanto, this will probably be a very easy process. And I wanted to test some of my methods on how to learn languages. So I said, okay, I really need a language where I'm a complete beginner. I don't have any help from other languages. So Swahili was probably a good choice for that. I was very motivated to travel to Tanzania. I even had some, some plans, but I had to cancel them for health reasons. And unfortunately, that was the only time last year uh, I was supposed to to go there, travel there, and it was it got cancelled. And then I lost my motivation. I I cannot learn a language just to learn a language. I really need something to get me going. And uh, given that I don't really have any plan to travel there right now, I actually lost it. I didn't get across the last wave, so unfortunately, I'm back on the island with my Swahili. <laughs> I know for a lot of language learners that losing a language in that way or no longer studying a language can be a pretty big fear. So 
how do you overcome that fear and how do you not have any sort of internal pressure about letting a language go or about no longer studying a language? Oh, I do. I do. I always do. But it's, um, it's, um, it was a conscious decision for me with two languages, with Swahili and the Slovak sign language. So with the Slovak sign language, uh, I attended a course uh, for two years. That, that was a language that actually you cannot learn by yourself in Slovakia. There are no materials. So I, I attended a course and I was actually getting to the second wave. I think I was uh, getting close to a B2, but I didn't have, I didn't find any uh, friends in the deaf community. So uh, after this language school closed, they, they just stopped uh, doing the courses and I, I didn't have any contact with it. So slowly I was forgetting it and I, I, I had a lot of internal pressure. It was like, I have put two years into this language and I really want to keep learning it. It's, it's fascinating. The, the whole community and the way it works is just amazing. But I didn't really have any ways to do it without uh, going to great lens. Um, because of it. So I decided after I think one year or two years, like, okay, I'm just gonna leave it because I was constantly thinking, what could I do to practice? I was going through some notes that I took about the little, the, the individual signs, but um, it, it would be a lot of work to keep that language. So I just decided I'll let it go. But it was a painful decision. I, I was sorry about that. I would love to keep that language, but um, you know, there are I mean, that, that's life. <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have the opportunities or it would, it wouldn't be easy for me to keep it. So I decided I'll, I'll let it go. And now I'm fine with it. It's just one of the languages I learned. It gave me a lot of insights into a completely new culture. So it's okay, but it's never easy because all this work you put into the language, um, that, that, that gives you a special connection to the language, I guess. Um, it's, it's like with relationships, you know, the, the more you care about someone, the, the bigger the relationship is, I don't know how to describe it elsewhere, uh, otherwise, but, um, yeah, it is painful. <laughs> yeah. But it's just a part of the, the game of getting into multiple languages because, uh, you know, we can't possibly have 5,000 languages at B2 level. So if you're going to dabble in a bunch, some are just gonna, you're going to have to accept that. And I've, I've certainly had to accept that over the years with my own. Uh, many travel experiences, so I can definitely relate to that. Um, yeah, but I think we could mention here maybe that actually this is something that many people don't know about polyglots. But as we know, the polyglot community and many polyglots is this is natural for all polyglots. I think many people believe that if someone says that they have learned 10, 15, 20 languages, that they keep all of them or that all of these languages are on a B2 or C1 level. It's not true, right? Most polyglots I know usually keep, uh, let's say, three to four languages on a C level or a really good fluent level where they're really comfortable to just say anything. And then let's say maybe up to five languages, I would say on a B1, B2. And then the rest of the languages are like, I used to be a B2, but I haven't really kept the language. So I think we should, we should state that because I think many people's expect expectations are then uh, different when they, when they hear about polyglots, right? Yeah, and that's that's definitely my situation. Mine too. <laughs> you no, know, I think that it's important because you hear a polyglot and there's this either or mentality that they must have mastered, like whatever you pick a number, eight languages, ten languages, five languages. They've mastered them, but that's not quite the situation. There's a spectrum, and you can only be somewhere on the spectrum, and there's only so much effort and time that you can put to maintain 
those levels. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I just wanted to say that some people, when they when they hear that I'm an interpreter and I speak, let's say, nine or seven languages, uh, then they think I can actually interpret seven languages and I can interpret them in any combination. They will say like, okay, let's interpret French into Swahili. It's like, no way, <laughs> you know, this, this would never be possible ever in my life. So um, yeah, it's, it's good. I think it's good that we mentioned that. <laughs> Definitely. So we've talked about a lot of different things today and um, it's been very interesting to hear your take on a lot of things. And uh, one question we like to pose everybody who comes on the podcast is what their understanding of language hacking is. Right. So language language hacking, I would say it's a way to learn a language faster, right? This, the, I, would, I would say this is the main definition. And for me, uh, faster actually means not going to language courses for 10 or 15 years, trying to get to a decent level, but rather to focus on the language more intensively, even if it's just one hour a day. I think that you don't really need much more than that, but to really tell yourself, okay, I'm going to work on this language and I'm going to get it across the last wave or across the, the B2 level. And I will not stop before I get there. I think if people make this decision and they really incorporate language learning into their everyday life, they make it a habit, they turn it into a part of their life where they don't have to decide every day. Do I feel like learning French today or do I feel like reading this book? No, you already have a plan. You have your system in place and you just follow it. You make it automatic. Uh, that's when you can actually get to the comfortable fluency level within maybe two years, let's say, if, if, if people use uh, the, the, the example that I've had. And uh, yeah, and, and that's that's how you get to learn a new language in two years, which I think is much better than trying to learn or maybe having it at the back of your mind for 15 years, but not really applying yourself. Because then people really feel that they have been learning English for, let's say, 10 or 15 years. But I say, no, you have been thinking about learning English and you have been going to some lessons in those 10 or 15 years, but you haven't been learning for 15 years. So I would say, yeah, uh, give it, make it, make it a real priority in your life. Uh, tell yourself you will not stop before you get to the, the goal you want to get. For me, that's always a B2 level. And then apply yourself and find ways how to make it systematic and automatic in your life. We've talked quite a bit about some of your past projects, but I'd love to know what are your current projects and or upcoming projects? Right. So I, I, I do all my projects within language mentoring. That's my uh, way, my, my own way of, of teaching people how to learn languages. And I help people learn languages, even, even languages that I don't speak. So this is, this is the specialty because I think the approach uh, to learning languages is actually very general. You can apply to, to anything. So what we do is uh, we have online courses where I explain all the methods that I've used to, to learn my languages and uh, people can apply it to any language they like in, uh, in the, in the, at the speed they, they prefer. And, um, we have two, uh, businesses. One is international language mentoring and one is in Slovakia. We actually do the same thing in Slovak for Slovaks and we run, uh, many challenges like monthly challenges. Uh, we try to help them focus on just one priority, not on everything at once. And, um, yeah, like one month, two month challenges, but now, right now, just in Slovakia, not, uh, worldwide. Well, we'll definitely uh, make sure people can check that out. That's, of course, languagementoring.com, but we'll have the link to that and link to all of your social media channels and other ways to get in touch with you. And, of course, to your TED Talk. 
in the show notes for uh, today's episode. Thank you very much. But Danny, you forgot to mention one important thing. You mentioned that I visited you after the TED Talk, but you didn't mention that I actually talked about you in the TED Talk. That's right. And I, I appreciated that shout out. I was, I was giddy when I was like, <laughs> I'm in this TED Talk. <laughs> I think your story is so inspiring. I really, really had to mention you in there and, and people loved it, you know? So if, if, if listeners of this podcast haven't watched the TED Talk, I really recommend and you'll hear about Benny in there. <laughs> Definitely, definitely check that out. Great talk. Thank you. All right. So um, all of that will be in the show notes. But otherwise, thank you so much, Lydia, for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Found it very interesting. And uh, until the next time, I wish everybody happy language learning. Happy language learning. Thank you. Bye-bye. At the end of every episode, Benny and I like to discuss something that we learned from our guest, a takeaway of some sort that you can apply to your own language learning. So what stood out to me personally most from what Lydia said was you need to understand why you have your bad days in language learning and you need to look for patterns in why these bad days happen. And I think for a lot of learners, we just say, oh, I had a bad day and we don't think any more about it or we think, oh. Maybe I'm actually bad at this or any of those other sorts of negative thoughts that get associated to those bad days. And I've never really thought about actually taking the time to evaluate what went wrong, what the common denominator is on those bad days. And so for me, that's definitely something that I am looking forward to applying to my language learning and those bad days when they happen. What about you, Benny? For me, the interesting thing that stuck out was uh, that she mentioned that she doesn't have a method language learning, but a methodology. And that distinction is so important. And I know that I do get caught up with the method that I have a particular app or a particular style that I have learned the, the language. And maybe I do stick to that a bit too much and a bit more variation while still maintaining the methodology. So like she said, she does at least something to improve her vocabulary. And that might be using the gold list method, but it may also be using Anki. And I think that's something I can incorporate. Maybe I personally tend to use Anki, but it doesn't mean I have to abandon it, but maybe I can mix things up and switch to using a different app and using a different methodology. So that's one thing. And I also really liked her analogy with the um, sitting next to her father as the as she was learning learning to drive. It's a great way to think of authority as being somebody, it feels like somebody is judging you. And that changes your entire experience with language learning. And it is a true reason of how I was able to get into Spanish in the first place, was losing that sense of an authority judging me. And I think that should really help other people who are listening to, to this to Try to find ways that you can speak to somebody who is more on your level and you'll get that comfort a lot faster than needing to wait until you're actually fluent. Absolutely. So we hope you enjoyed this interview. We definitely found our discussion with Lydia interesting. As always, any of the links or resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes for this particular recording. And we appreciate you listening. If you found this interview helpful, don't forget to leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. Until next time and happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.